Sometimes I feel like an arrow Fired something somewhere long ago Whether it moved or I missed where I'm bound I don't yet know If you see me coming I'll probably pass you by On my way to something somewhere sometime Sometimes I find myself reeling Listing and rolling in a plastic sea There's signs and signals bidding for attention from me So turn on your sleigh and I will turn on mine And we'll hum and like something somewhere sometime And if I've wounded you, I'm sorry Good intentions If I've wounded you I'm sorry It happens all the time You remind me of a reason Had by someone so many years ago Listen to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest today is Colleen Frakes. Her latest book is Island Brat, um, lovingly uh, patronized by Annie Koyama. Is that the good, right way to put it? Uh, I think that's probably the best way to put it, yeah. <laughs> uh, as well as um, Tragic Relief, which is, I guess, your ongoing series of mini comics? Uh, yes. And the collection, The Trials of Sir Christopher, and material in a plethora of um, White River Junction-based anthologies. Anything I'm forgetting? Uh, nothing I can think of, no. Okay. Um, so thank you for joining me today, Colleen. Oh, thank you. Uh, I guess to start out with, um, tell me a bit about your background of choosing to move from uh, the West Coast, uh, pretty close to where I'm at, uh, an island was in the Puget Sound? Uh, yes, um, it, uh, South Sound, um, 
Before um, heading to the west or to the east coast, though, I'd left McNeil Island to go to the Evergreen State College in Olympia. Oh, okay. Um, it's a big hippie school, um, and being a big hippie school, I didn't really feel like I came out with any skills, uh, so I knew I had to go to grad school. And when looking for grad schools, I'd been told to figure out who you want to learn from and then find where they're teaching. And every cartoonist that I was reading was somehow involved with the Center for Cartoon Studies, so I, I knew I had to head out there. What was, the, was it a BFA or a BA that you got at Evergreen? Um, Evergreen is um, it's a liberal arts school. So I think it's, is it BA, BLA, something like that. Okay. What was your focus in at that time? Was it, was it art or was it something more in the uh, humanities area? It was accidentally comics. Uh, with Evergreen, you're, you're not in classes, you're in year-long programs, and instead of grades, you get um, a multi-page narrative evaluation of your strengths and character, uh, which <laughs> can sometimes be harder than a grade. <laughs> Um, and I'd taken this class that I thought was an art class because the name of it was Citizen Artist, but as often happens at Evergreen, it had nothing to do with its title or description, um, and it ended up being mostly about uh, bookmaking. Both of the professors had come from the um, fine arts school in Chicago as book artists, um, and that sort of led me into an interest in bookmaking and zines and then doing mini-comics. Mm-hmm. What was some of the stuff that you were exposed to that kind of developed that interest? We had to do a lot of bookbinding, um, and then I, I they would help with projects that seemed to be just excuses to get us to make little handmade books. So we had to, at one point, write our own autobiographies or do um, community narrative projects. Uh, and I would, because I thought I was taking an art class, I would try to draw as many pictures for these little books as possible and of course combining pictures and stories it ended up being a lot of comics so it's all about the process not not an influence as much um it started being just sort of the process a way to try to to get some drawing into this um this class that was something completely different than i expected and then of course evergreen um a lot of cartoonists went there um i started finding linda berry's work and matt graining and Charles Burns and Steve Willis. Um, I really got into looking up the history of um, their time at Evergreen together, mm-hmm. uh, and that led to um, your. You can write your own classes there, and so I wrote a semester-long program that was just. I think the title was "Can I Make a Comic Book?" <laughs> <laughs> just to see, just to see if I could do it. I, I always thought that I wasn't. I wasn't good enough to make comics. That it was too hard to draw the same thing over and over. Um, so I set up a semester-long program where I had to research comics, make my own 24-page book, get it printed, and then exhibit. Um, there's the Olympia Comics Festival in that area mm-hmm. um, and exhibit there. And it all worked out pretty well. So I just kind of kept doing it. What kind of, uh, I guess, ephemera would they have there from the time that Burns and um, Greening and Barry were going to school there? Uh, a lot of it was old issues of um, the, it's called the Cooper Point Journal now, but it was just called the paper when they were there, and Matt Groening was the editor um, mm-hmm. of the school paper. It's a lot of issues of that, which has um, some of Linda Berry's earliest comics and, and that sort of thing. And there's, um, because Steve Willis is a, still a librarian in Olympia, um, 
and he's he's in like a million mini comics it seems like it so there's a lot of his um on at the library okay that's a pretty unique place to go it sounds like i wish my education wasn't was was less structured like that (laughs) (laughs) um so from there you went to white river junction and you were were you there the first year or second year I was part of the first class, the, the guinea pig class. How was that as as part of being a guinea pig thing? Do you, was it kind of an interesting experience for yourself and for the teachers? Like you could see the kinks being worked out? Oh, definitely. Um, I, I still, uh, I get regular emails um, from people who are interested in CCS wanting to know, you know, should they go there? What's the program like? And anymore I have to tell them that I have no idea because it's changed so much since I went there. Um, it's, it's a really tight program now, like they have their system down. But mm-hmm. they were still kind of experimenting with us. Um, like at the time, uh, Steve Bissett was uh, one of the, a great teacher there. And I mean, he was living, I'm going to say an hour away, maybe two hours away in Marlboro. Um, so he could only come to teach on Tuesdays. So we would be in class from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on Tuesday with Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> That but, sounds amazing. But, he, but he's just, you know, such a great guy that he could hold our attention for that whole time. But it um, it was really hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done that first year at CCS. But to their credit, they, they were constantly asking for our feedback and listening, and um, they really got the program together by the second year. And it's it's just, it seems like it's it's gotten better every year since then. And you live in Vermont. Are you still in White River Junction, or are you elsewhere? I still I live next door to the school above the pizza shop. (laughs) 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 They have a really great program with alumni where you can pay a fee and still use all the great equipment in their lab. And if there's room, come sit in at the visiting artist classes. Um, But part of I've stayed partly for the school and partly just I can't afford to leave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of money to move across the country. And when I did it the first time, you know, I I sold everything I owned and. Uh, shipped a few boxes and packed some suitcases and moved out and at this point in my life I can't do that again and it's quite emotionally taxing too to make such a extensive journey oh definitely and at this point uh, this White River Junction I've lived here the second longest um, of anywhere except for McNeil Island Um, so it's yeah at this point it feels very hard to, to leave so tell me how, uh, when you started going there, did you have much foundation in your comics? Like you'd done the one comic for that class. Mm-hmm. Um, was that th- the majority of your work till that point, or had you done other stuff? Like other the minis only or other, Yeah. The only other thing I'd really done um, was I had a, a weekly strip at the Cooper Point Journal, um, which changed names a lot of times. Um, and by the time I left it, I think it was called Real Life Conversations. Uh, so I had a, a lot of practice just trying to produce work quickly and, and, and get it out there, but um, n- nothing with long-form storytelling. But that was true with most of the students in my class. Um, with the first year, we weren't a group of, of artists and dedicated cartoonists. We were the people who were willing to take a risk on this crazy new thing. Um, and I was really surprised the first day of class we just went around the room um, and introduced ourselves, and most of the people, the first comic they'd ever made was the application comic for CCS. We had a, a biologist, a photographer, 
Um, so it, I, I think it was weird. I wasn't expecting to have some of the like the most experience in the class. <laughs> that is that's funny. I had no idea that it was like that mm-hmm. at first. Um, how do you feel that experience kind of f- entered your comics or affected your comics? Uh, the the CCS experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest way it affected it was uh, just getting me to produce work quickly. Um, cause it's you probably heard this over and over. People describe the first year's boot camp, um, and while many of my classmates would stay at the school twenty four hours and pull all nighters to get these huge assignments done, I just can't do that. Um, I've never pulled an all nighter in my life. Uh, I need to go to bed, so I. I would just do the do the work quickly, and, and um, I went from having a a fairly realistic and heavily rendered style to do like what I have now is very loose and cartoony, um, mm-hmm. because I could get that out on time. <laughs> so that process really freed up your your work. It did, and um, we also uh, our writing teacher at the time was a poet, Peter Money, and he talked a lot about. Um, spontaneity in your work um, and in your writing, so that that helped as well. Um, just to, most of my work seems it's it's very spontaneous and off the cuff um, and loose. So yeah, it really it changed my whole process and how I thought about story making. Now, Tragic Relief was that the series that you started out of from your experience there? Was that your thesis project? That. Um, that ended up being my thesis. Uh, it was strange with um, everyone in our class. We the first day of the second year, where we, we were going to propose a thesis in front of the class. Um, by the mid-year point, we'd all changed our our plan. Um, I was originally trying to do this young adult uh, fantasy, like epic fantasy thing based on Rus- Russian folklore, um, and I got, I just got very frustrated with it by the middle of the year and decided. Uh, you know, I'm tired of this. I just want to draw mermaids. Um, and that <laughs> <into> <laughs> I love that. Well, what is it about myth? Like it, it reads through most of your work in there. Like you seem to have a particular interest in folklore stories. Um, I do. Um, growing up on the island, um, it being it was isolating me from a lot of content. Most of what I had was my parents' library, and my mom liked. Uh, fantasy, fairy tale, uh, Piers Anthony type books, um, and we had like our living room was just surrounded by bookshelves, and my dad liked history, um, so that was what I read and read those stories over and over. When I got to college, it was interesting to find a lot of these common fairy tales, like even Baba Yaga and that sort of stuff. Like none of my classmates had heard of them, and that made me want to tell them more. Mm-hmm. The, the, the idea of these. Uh, these fairy tales that are informed by Disney and don't have happy endings and that sort of thing. The Tragic Relief, the the first book that you'd given me, um, it's very much not a happy story. No. <laughs> it's very sad. <laughs> um, I also noticed like uh, you have done some stuff with, uh, I guess, is it Skagit uh, Nation, First Nation Stories? And so I'm wondering if that's something you'd been, um, had been around when you were growing up, or was it just something you kind of picked up from? Uh, it was. Um, I lived in um, Forks, Washington from kindergarten through fifth grade, um, 
and even though that's where the Twilight books take place, I've never read those books. Um, and that the that area is very much immersed in um, in the sort of the native culture. We were right by the the Chinook Reservation and all that, and we would you know we had powwows at our at our elementary school and that sort of thing. Um, and because the the culture was everywhere, my dad would read us a lot of those stories. Um, the Basket Ogress, which is the story I've been working on for two years now, something like that. Um, that came out of my dad telling that to, to my sister and I as a bedtime story and being awake and being afraid all night that this giant woman was going to come grab us out of our beds and eat us. So. How do you feel, like, looking at these different stories in different narrative traditions, what kind of mm-hmm. uh, comparison could you make, say, between an Eastern European story and a First Nation story? Like, what makes them different? Um, or are they very similar? So many of them are very are similar. Um, uh, it's it's really cool how often the the same themes will be repeated over and over through uh, different cultures, myths, and fairy tales. Um, like the basket ogre story is very similar to the Baba Yaga myths of Russia, where um, it's it's really when you boil it down, it's the story that you tell kids to keep them from wandering into the woods by themselves because there's animals in there that will eat them or they'll get lost. So you tell them that there's a witch or there's a giant cannibal ogress in the woods and you can't go in there or because it eats children. Is the uh, Woman King your response to that? Your story of the young girl raised by the family of bears? Um, that was more uh, thinking about my own experiences growing up in the woods. That uh, I've always lived, um, well, I shouldn't say always, but most of my childhood we've lived in very rural areas where there weren't a lot of people around, but there was a lot of forest to play in. Um, and so that's that's sort of what I would do with a child, was just wander around in the woods until it looked like the sun was going down and then come home for dinner. Mm-hmm. So. Just a lot of imagination. Exactly. So your new book, um, Island Brat, I guess, mm-hmm. a remembrance of where you grew up. Uh, tell folks about the unique locale of McNeil Island. Uh-oh. Uh, McNeil Island was the last um, prison in the United States that you could only reach by uh, air or by boat, uh, the last um, prison island. And um, to to make the prison run, about 50 families also lived on the island in houses, and McNeil is also unique in that it was originally a territorial prison and then a federal prison, and then um, during my family's time out there, it was a state facility. And uh, earlier this year, uh, I got word that it was being closed down because McNeil is only accessible by air or by water. It's a very expensive prison to run, even though it's very secure. Um, so the state decided to, to shut the facility down, and that means that my hometown is now shut down, the place where I grew up, um, <laughs> which is it's a very weird thing to have happen. Um, so I wanted to, to document the experience, um, both because it's so unique and, and so many people hadn't heard of it, um, even going to school on the mainland people I went to high school with who, who could see the prison from their houses living on the mainland. They didn't know it was there. They never thought about it. Um, so both to tell the story of the place and just sort of as a cathartic experience because um, 
very often comics for me. It feels like therapy that I just I feel better when I'm doing it. So when you were in high school, did you have to commute every day, or did you like? <laughs> how long was the uh, boat? Yep, I, it's about twenty minutes. Oh, okay. Uh, so time to do do homework before school. Yeah, that's not too bad. I and, I I was feeling like it was further out. Uh no, it's it's uh, two miles off the coast of Silicon, Washington. Okay. Um, what kind of the idea of a prison island most people think of Alcatraz and what makes it different from something like that? Um, I guess the nature component. The nature component um, in Alcatraz was also a maximum security facility. Um, for the for the most part, the people who went there were, were they they advertised it as the worst of the worst. Now, Alcatraz did also have um, families living on the island too. One of the the books I, I was reading as research for this, um, I want to say it was called The Children of Alcatraz, where um, the the, the uh, essential personnel, like the warden's family, um, would live out there and the children um, would, would play around the prison and have to take the boat to school. Um, McNeil, though, was, um, it had two facilities. One was medium security and one was minimum. So the inmates, we, they, we were around them. They, they actually ran the ferry boats um, and did a lot of uh, worked for the Department of Resources around the island, um, so it wasn't it wasn't as scary as Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> now you you mentioned you're doing some research. So what kind of stuff was coming up that you didn't realize with the island, even though you would live there? Um, I don't think anything new came up. A lot of it was just trying to refresh my memory. Others. Uh, Two books written about the island. Um, one is called the McNeil Century, um, and I think the other one is called Island on the Sound. And just sort of, um, I was trying to remember a little bit more about the history. Um, growing up there, there you know, everybody talked all the time about um, what the old buildings were, and there were a lot of rumors. Uh, I did find out there was one house that everyone had always thought was a, a house of ill repute <laughs> um, because it. <laughs> a whorehouse because it was right by the water um, where the old where the old dock had been um, and it had a lot of small bedrooms um, and was at one time it had been um, you know, quite fancy had a lot of balconies and all that but it was since shut down and a little dilapidated um, and I found out from reading these books that um, you know it was there was never any any whorehouses on the <laughs> island it was just a house built by settlers who had a large family so it was kind of rough to get started I love the imagination of youth. <laughs> um, the catharsis from it, what did it let out for you? Like, it provided closure to that experience, or? Uh, it provided some closure, and um, I guess a lot of it is just the whole process of drawing makes me feel better. I, I probably didn't have to draw a story about the island, um, but I, need, I needed to draw something. I was, you know, having a little panic attack, um, which is actually how uh, Andy Koyama found me, is that I was you know, panicking on Twitter. <laughs> my, I'm never going to get to see my house again, and I'll never get to show any future children where I grew up and all that. Um, and you know, through that little, all those little Twitter messages, um, was when she contacted me and offered to, to fund the project. Um, 
but just the act of drawing it's 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 very cathartic and calming so that's pretty amazing felt like I needed to do, to do something yeah no it's really unique uh, place to be coming from and it's quite mm -hmm. fascinating uh, what did your father do in the island is he the one that worked did he work in the prison or mm -hmm. uh, actually both my parents worked out there um, at the time my dad was a captain um, and he's since um, he's now the they call it a superintendent, but it's the same as a warden um, for the largest prison in Washington State. Oh, wow. Um, and my mom at the time was an investigator for the prison, so I didn't get away with anything growing <laughs> up. <laughs> she, had a, she had a drug-sniffing dog at her disposal. But <laughs> <laughs> There's no drugs in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, of course not. <laughs> no, 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 no massive amounts of weed everywhere. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so, Tragic Relief, you're continuing that as a mini-comic, um, or that's kind of your ongoing. Mm -hmm. And so tell me what the other stuff you've been doing since that first uh, Zurich winning book, or Zurich funded book. Uh, sure. Um, since, uh, the, after publishing the first Tragic Relief book, um, I was able to use the, the profits from that to do uh, Woman King, the, the second book, which is about a girl raised by bears. Um, and then after that, I, after having done you know these two fairly substantial and around 100-page stories, I wanted to start doing smaller things again. So I started uh, producing the Tragic Relief mini comics. I'm up to issue 11, hoping to have, to have 12 out for SPX. We'll see. Um, but just there's well, it feels like there's a pressure to have a story at every convention, um, and it, it's good to, to keep in practice to do smaller things. Um, it's funny how trouble that, thinking. Yeah, it's funny how uh, conventions force creativity. I'm still wrapping my head around that. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, we all need deadlines. Um, and the thing about going to comic book school is that you have the deadlines for all these assignments and projects. Um, and then when you're finished, you have to create your own deadlines if you're not working on a project for for an editor or a publisher. So conventions make make good little artificial deadlines. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, it's something I need to work on. And you mentioned you're working on a larger book, right? Or something, a larger story? Mm -hmm. And what was that? Um, I've been putting uh, chapters of uh, Basket Ogress, um, run, running that in Tragic Relief for the past few issues. Okay. So someday, eventually, I'll, I'll get that whole thing together and collect it. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me today, Colleen. Uh, what's your website? ColleenFreaks.com? Oh, it's uh, TragicRelief.com. Oh, look at that. I Tra was worried no one could spell freaks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, TragicRelief.com. And just so folks are reminded, the books, um, Island Brat is the latest, as well as Woman King, uh, previously mentioned Tragic Relief. And the collection of uh, what the, were they twenty-four hour comics? The trials of Sir Christopher. Uh, those were um, for National Novel Writing Month. It was oh, okay. trying to do a hundred in a month. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I misread the dates on there and stuff. Um, and <laughs> you can find that all at tragicrelief.com. Thank you again, Colleen. Thank you so much.
Drinking by candle. 